Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. It's the start of a new financial future for the financially troubled territory of Puerto Rico. Congress enacted the bipartisan PROMESA law this summer, creating, among other things, a financial oversight board. The seven members of the board have been recently named by President Obama, and they have their work cut out for them. Puerto Rico has over $70 billion in public debt after years of financial mismanagement, political malpractice, and indifference from Washington. It's hemorrhaging not only red ink, but is suffering from an outmigration crisis as thousands U.S. citizens have fled to the mainland in search of opportunities and a better life. With us today is an expert on the new law and a keen observer of the political and legal developments in Puerto Rico. John Mudd is an attorney and legal analyst admitted to practice in Puerto Rico, including the Puerto Rico federal courts, the First and Fourth Circuit Courts of Appeals as well. He received his law degree from the University of Puerto Rico Law School in 1982. Starting his litigation career as an attorney in government practice, then private practice handling a number of high-profile litigation matters. A solo practitioner for more than 10 years, John specializes in class actions, bankruptcy, constitutional law, mass tort litigation, and intricate issues of federal jurisdiction. He frequently gives seminars for continuing legal education credit, is a prolific blogger and commentator on the legal scene in Puerto Rico. For the past four years, he's studied, discussed, and written on the Puerto Rico debt crisis from both a financial and legal point of view. He was among the first analysts on the island to raise the probability of a congressional-imposed financial control board. So today we'll discuss the control board's power under the new law and the complex road ahead. So welcome, John, to ABI Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. So... First, for those uh, not as familiar with uh, uh, PROMESA, the product of a long uh, negotiation, principally between um, uh, House Republicans and the Treasury Department, let's start with the key philosophy, if you will, and and key terms uh, of the law. Why did Congress end up going in in this direction, and what what is PROMESA's promise? First of all, you have to uh, have to give a little bit of uh, background on what Puerto Rico is. Puerto Rico is an unincorporated territory of the United States. That's extremely important because PROMESA was uh, put into effect pursuant to the territorial clause of the United States Constitution. What it means is that PROMESA, uh, with the part of that has to do with the um, the fiscal oversight board, cannot be imposed on a state because of the Tenth Amendment, of course. What happened here was that uh, for years we've been having uh, fiscal problems and, and economic problems, and this administration finally decided that in 2014 that it was going to make the local bankruptcy law because they decided that it would take too long for Congress to uh, approve a Chapter 9 for, uh, for Puerto Rico. They made the law, obviously, immediately they was signed. The uh, bondholders uh, challenged it under Section 903 of the Bankruptcy Code. 
They won in district court. They won in circuit court, and eventually they won in the Supreme Court right. of the United States. That's very important. Because during the oral arguments of the case in the First Circuit, uh, which is in Boston, which is the one that applies to us, the uh, Judge Lynch, who eventually wrote the opinion, asked, what happened to Washington, D.C.? And the, and the answer was, well, when Washington, D.C. asked for Chapter 9, they were given a control board. And immediately she said, oh, okay, that's okay. And so when you look at the opinion, you find that she basically was inviting Congress to do that. The Supreme Court didn't get into that, but the First Circuit is very important because any appeals which are limited in PROMESA will go to the First Circuit. Right. What happened then was that when uh, it was obvious that uh, Puerto Rico was not going to get, and we're talking by the time the decision by Judge Pesosa, who was the district judge who um, decided originally the Recovery Act, I read the opinion. Anybody who read it knew that, that the judge was right. Okay? Immediately that that happened, which was February of 2015, Puerto Rico started, and the Treasury Department of the United States started like, moving for some type of bankruptcy for Puerto Rico. Congress said, no, no, I'm not going to give you a bankruptcy, a Republican-dominated Congress. No, I'm not going to give you that one. I'm going to give you this fiscal control board. And it went back and forth until they finally said, you know what, you want a fiscal control board? I want bankruptcy. Let's uh, agree to disagree, and you get this and you get that. And they filled in the blanks. The law is not the greatest thing in the world. It's not that either. It's just there, and uh, I think, and I think it's quite obvious that certain parts of the law uh, will will depend how they'll be used. Will depend on how the board members look at it. Right. To to go uh, directly to I think uh, the most important parts in terms of bankruptcy, etc., is that immediately that it was signed into law, a stay applied. That's uh, under Section Four Hundred Five of Commerce. The state basically applied to any uh, procedure that could have been filed before PROMESA was enacted and that asked for a payment of, uh, of any kind of bond. Okay? Shortly before PROMESA was enacted, there were several cases that were filed. And eventually, Judge was also the same one that dealt with the uh, uh, Recovery Act. They said, you know what? Yes, the state applies to you. It was surprising to me because those cases were not actually seeking uh, collection of money. But that's what he decided. But he said at the same time, okay, the stay can be listed. And this is very important. The stay in, in bankruptcy, as we're all familiar with, is the norm and not the exception. The court has to say, okay, I'm going to lift the stay in order for you to, to be able to do anything. Even if you ask for it and the judge doesn't give it to you, well, you don't get it. In PROMESA, however, if you ask for a listing of the state and 45 states expire from that date, the state is automatically listed, which is, makes me think that the state is, as I said, not the norm, right. the exception. Okay? Uh, very importantly, the state will expire by February 15th. The board can extend it for 75 more days, which could be May the 1st. cannot extend it for any other time. There's another type of extension that I'll discuss in a minute. We go, once we discuss the stay, that stay was done, of course, so Puerto Rico could voluntarily uh, continue the discussions on, on some type of agreement with the bondholders. Right. Now, 
if you if you look at the uh, the press, Puerto Rico government was telling the press that they had been negotiating with the bondholders for years, but Melba Costa, who was the chief financial officer of Puerto Rico, when she testified or was forced to testify actually in the Walmart litigation in January of this year, uh, February actually, she was asked point blank, "Isn't it true?" I can say this because I was there. I saw, I heard her say that, and then I read it in the transcript. Isn't it true that the first time Puerto Rico sat down with his uh, bondholders to negotiate was on January 29th, 2016? And since she didn't want to get put in jail, she said yes. <laughs> so we, we see that there is a, a, a dual um, story here. Uh, um, several of the advisors of Puerto Rico, including somebody well-respected, like Jim Milstein, kept saying, no, no, we're negotiating, we're negotiating. But they weren't. Because Melba Costa was not going to lie, much less to Judge Fuster, who was a judge there, who would put in jail anyone who did something he thought was wrong. He had no qualms about that. Okay, continuing. Subsequently, of course, there have been negotiations. And actually, we know that by June the 20th, uh, certain general obligation bond holders offered Puerto Rico 89 cents on the dollar uh, to reduce their, their indebtedness. Puerto Rico had offered 81 cents. And I admit that I've never uh, negotiated billion-dollar deals, but I've negotiated quite a few million-dollar deals. And when you're that close, what you usually do is you, you split the difference, right. 85 cents. And that could have done, that could have solved everything, and you would have about $18 billion knocked out. Or, or just, you know, dealt with. Bondholders are telling me, and nobody is telling me to lift anything different, that after that, there have been no negotiations. So it seems that Puerto Rico has wasted July and August and part of September in actually doing nothing. Although, uh, Mr. Nelson's contract was renewed in August for $8.8 million until June of next year. Okay, that's neither here nor there. The point I'm trying to make is that Although Puerto Rico is supposed to negotiate the uh, agreement, they're not doing it. But let's assume there is, there's a negotiation. What happened? Well, you go to Title VI. Title VI, you know, Chapter 600 and so on forth of PROMESA. It gives you the details. But essentially it says, if you have a qualified modification, you're modifying the, the bond or whatever indebtedness it is, and you present it to the board. It could be Puerto Rico or it could be a bondholder who presents it. And the board says, you know what? That's a good one. Let's vote on it. The board decides if there's going to be a vote on it. And those decisions are unappealable because it's a certification. Everything that says in terms of certification is non-appealable. And the Supreme Court of the United States has said that Congress can do that as long as it makes it very clear it's unappealable. And the law says clearly it's unappealable. So, what happens is that when you vote, if you have two-thirds of the vote in favor of those who have the right to vote, then you go to federal court, federal district court. Federal district court reviews to see if the due process has been done and says, okay, we agree, we approve, and that's the new, the new uh, indebtedness. Okay? But what happens if you don't have an agreement? Or you have an agreement and for whatever reason Puerto Rico couldn't pay. Well, then you go to the board, or the government, not the board. You go to the board and you say, Sir, can I go into bankruptcy? Sounds like, you know, all the twist. Right. And the board is to certify 
That's under Section 206. And you have to certify that the entity, the entity does not have to be insolvent, because that's part of Chapter 9. Right. Let, let me make a little little uh, parenthesis here. Uh, Title 3 is uh, the part of bankruptcy. Okay. What they actually did was they took some parts of Chapter, uh, what is done in Chapter 9, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. And they put some little different things, but we'll go into details into that in a minute. Okay. But you, the board does have to certify and find that there has been good faith negotiations. And that's a problem because right now there have been no negotiations. Right. The last couple of months. But let's, you know, assume that there has been good faith negotiations, etc. Then the board, the board, not Puerto Rico, files the petition. Right. Okay. The board can amend the petition, not Puerto Rico. And finally, under um, Section 314, which is similar to 1129, because uh, Section 943 was not adopted. But section parts of Section 1129 were adopted, very importantly, uh, 1121B1, which is the, uh, the, the uh, clam, uh, clam down. That is part of, of the law. So you have to uh, consider that in any bankruptcy, in this special bankruptcy law, you may cram, the court may cram down in the same way it would do it in a, in a, in a chapter 11. Mm-hmm. So that's important. To, that's extremely important. For our people to understand much of, or many parts of Chapter 9 have been imported into PROMESA under what is uh, Title Three of the law, which exactly. is the, the non-voluntary uh, procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, and that requires, um, again, a, a supermajority vote of the seven members of the board. Yeah, you need five mm-hmm. for the certification. That's very important. I forgot about that. And uh, later on, we'll talk when we get to the members of the board, right. uh, that, the, the importance of those five votes. Going back, once uh, it is approved, if the plan is approved, you go as you go in every in, in Chapter 11 or Chapter 9. Uh, a couple of interesting um uh, provisions in, in, in all of this is that under Section 314, the bankruptcy plan has to comply with the fiscal plan, which is Section 201 of PROMESA. The fiscal plan has a little um, interesting little tidbit, and a lot of people have not looked into it. Now, I have to I have to bear with me for a second here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to my copy here of 201. Uh the fiscal plan has to respect the relative in the Constitution, respect the relative lawful priorities of lawful liens as may be applicable in the Constitution of the law or agreements of a covered territory or covered territorial instrumentality in effect prior to the date of enactment of this act. What does that mean? We'll get into a second. Now, if you have to respect the plan, and the plan has to respect that, does that mean, for example, that the general obligation bonds, which uh, under Puerto Rican law or have to be paid, or or as I believe, the whole of um, of the public debt under section under Article Six, Section Eight of the Constitution, that you have to pay the public debt first before you pay anything else. Does it mean that you have to comply with that, or does it mean that you just have to you know look at it and say, well, yeah, we should, but we can't, so. And I don't really have an answer for you. But the um, report by the uh, Natural Resources Committee mm-hmm. on PROMESA has a very interesting part when 
it talks about about Section 314, it actually says that we have incorporated here that they have to respect uh, the relative level. What I just read on chapter on, on section N of uh, 201. So it gives you the idea that you do have to comply with that law, but if you look at what actually happened, was that every time a, a Republican tried to say you have to give these priority, those amendments were shot down. So it's like in tennis, advantage on uh, geos, but not for sure that way. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it may bring in enormous amounts of litigation. Right, right. So we wanted to talk about the board's uh, mm-hmm. powers. Um, they are broad, yep. certainly. Um, and now that and they're at the same time so narrow. In the, uh, now that they're in business, um, um, but they are to work with uh, uh, the local government. Um, so, kind of explain that their their interface with things like uh, budgeting and and the, the role of the political uh, uh, branches of, of government with the with okay. the board. Obviously, in, in Congress. Uh, Many were concerned that the board would exercise, um, you know, perhaps heavy-handed uh, power. There was lots of talk of uh, paternalism and parochialism, and there were a lot of uh, uh, concerns about respecting uh, the, the local prerogatives here. So explain a little bit about how the control board is supposed to interface with the, with the local government with respect to budgeting and financial decisions. Okay, let's go first, a little bit of background on Puerto Rico again. Puerto Rico is a territory, okay? Puerto Rico had, until Promesa was, was uh, enacted, the full powers like any other state. You look at the first district, uh, first circuit court opinions, Puerto Rico's like a state, Puerto Rico's like a state. And they continued saying that, forgetting that Puerto Rico is a territory, okay? Then this term, uh, in the case of Sanchez Valle, Puerto Rico versus Sanchez Valle, went to the Supreme Court of right. the... United States from the Supreme Court of Puerto Rico. The Supreme Court of Puerto Rico said, for effect, for uh, purposes of this, of the um, of uh, double jeopardy, Puerto Rico is a territory, and therefore, it's part of the federal government, technically, and there's ample uh, precedence to that. Therefore, if the federal government accuses you of something that has the same elements of the law in Puerto Rico, and you were found guilty, in this case, they they pled guilty. You cannot be uh, tried again. And the government of Puerto Rico, which is a, didn't agree with that decision for right. political purposes, uh, went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court basically did a really bad, bad, bad uh, number on Puerto Rico and said that Puerto Rico is, for, is for practical purposes, a territory. Why is that important? When you look at the territorial clause, it says Congress may dispose of, and I want to stress dispose of, that means tomorrow, if Congress wanted, Congress, not the president, it could basically give away Puerto Rico, and that's the way it is. And the other part of the of the territorial process are make needful, needful rules. Okay? Subsequently, uh, from the uh, invasion from 1898, there's a uh, case called um, Downs versus Bidwell, the Supreme Court of the United States, 
and they said basically, well, Puerto Rico is part of an is is uh, of part of a, not of the United States. Basically, kind of weird thing. And said so something also very important, which is repeated later on in other cases. Congress cannot can do whatever it wants except on fundamental rights. So our fundamental rights are protected. What they are, that's not. <laughs> now, going to 201, PROMESA. PROMESA basically is to improve the fiscal uh, situation of Puerto Rico and get it into the market in, in, in a way that it can borrow money. Right. Okay. So the main um, powers of the board are two. One is the fiscal plan. The board, the board, not Puerto Rico, the board will tell Puerto Rico, okay, I want a fiscal plan this way. Not any other way. The law uh, sets um, about ten things that they that PROMESA must have. Uh, the plan, I'm sorry, but it also has a, a, a little part that says what and whatever the board thing is is, is uh, needed. Okay, in that sense, the the board can say we want this, and if Puerto Rico doesn't provide it and doesn't give in the fiscal plan what uh, the board thinks it needs to do. They can say, well, you got to change it, and if it doesn't change it adequately, the board can impose its own fiscal plan. Okay. Second, the um, budget. Budget, every year, the budget will be provided. The budget by the, uh, legis- not the, the governor will be provided to the board. The board will say, well, we agree with this board. You don't agree with it. And if you don't agree with it, well, you have to change this. And if you don't do it the right way, we change it the way it should be done. Uh, the board can go to federal court and do whatever uh, um, lawsuits it needs for it to make uh, Puerto Rico comply with with its laws. In other words, governor, well, you, you're violating, you're not giving me the, the budget and you're doing the budget your way, federal court do something. The federal court can come over and say, you know what, governor, if you don't do it, I'm going to put you in jail. And they will. The judges here are very strict. Uh, more than once, uh, it has told gov- uh, members of this government, either you comply with what I'm asking, or you come tomorrow and you bring your toothbrush. And I'm <laughs> serious. They said yeah. that. Yeah. And in the past, Judge Rostead, I mentioned before, I know put in jail the whole um, legislature of a municipality because they wouldn't approve uh, uh, the payment of, of some judgment, they said, okay, no problem, I'll put you in jail. And he put him in jail, I think it was for two hours, and in two hours they said, yes, we'll do it. Okay, those are the main, 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 um, I would say, tools. There's another important tool that is uh, not looked at very much, but it's also very important. The board can make suggestions. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like in The Godfather, uh, make an offer you can't refuse, same thing. The suggestion, if Puerto Rico says, no, I'm not going to comply with that suggestion, well, you have to tell me why. Literally, you have 90 days to tell me why not. And you don't tell me only. you got to tell Congress. So the, uh, the premise there is that if you don't do what I'm telling you, you know what? I may ask Congress to do it for you. Right. Then there's another thing, which we will... I have to go into one particular member of the board who's an expert in, in bankruptcy, and what he has written about in order to, to, to get into this other tool that the uh, board may have. David Skeel is a professor in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, uh, in uh, corporations and bankruptcy. 
Now, Mr. Skeel is uh, well known for advocating bankruptcy for the state. Right. Okay? And one of the things he says in an article in 2016 that actually says basically municipal governance and the role of municipal bankruptcy in changing that government. What he's advocating in those articles is that the in the plan, in the bankruptcy plan, you put the changes of governance that are needed, and the judge, and he has a point, can basically blackmail you into, into doing it. Oh, you don't want to do that? No problem. I'm not going to approve the plan. And then what do you do? Interestingly enough, there's, a, there's about three parts of uh, Chapter 9 that he says create a problem for this. But those three, two, have not been adopted to promesa. So it, it is conceivable that Mr. Skeel may decide it's a good idea to change the governance in Puerto Rico, which is definitely needed, by telling the government, you want bankruptcy? No problem, but you have to change this, 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 and that. And force those changes into the bankruptcy. That could very easily happen. Right. Or even if they're not, you know, the, the changes are not you know, accepted, since the board is the one who actually filed the, the bankruptcy plan, it could be done. You mentioned uh, Professor Skeel is obviously well-known uh, to our members. Yeah. He served a, a stint as our resident scholar here and has uh, mm-hmm. spoken and, and written on a number of, of ABI uh, programs. Um, also on the board um, is, is another person very familiar uh, to our members, and that's Judge Gonzalez, who was yes, one time the chief the other church, chief judge of the Southern District yeah. of uh, New York Bankruptcy Court, presided over many important matters, and also served as a member of ABI's commission to study the reform of Chapter 11. So there's at least two, I would say, bankruptcy experts um, on on the mm-hmm. on the board. In, in terms of the other folks um, on the board who, who wouldn't be so familiar um, to our members, mm-hmm. what can you tell us um, about them? And do any of them have mm-hmm. any of them had a predisposition one way or the other about how to solve uh, kind of the financial problems that Puerto Rico is facing? I'll, I'll go into that in a second. I'm, I want to make emphasis uh, on Arthur Rosales. I had the pleasure of dealing with him in the Enron litigation. He's really knowledgeable, etc. Mr. Skeel makes reference to the Chrysler bankruptcy as another way of, in a Chapter 11, uh, making changes to the governance. And we all know that George that was Gonzalez, G- Gonzalez's the case. judge in that case. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, you know, let's look at the other, uh, the other five members. You have, I'm going to go into the Puerto Rican. You have Carlo uh, Garcia. Carlo Garcia is, um, used to be the president of the Government Development Bank who is the fiscal agent, or was the fiscal agent of Puerto Rico. Right. He was involved in the issuing of some of these bonds, and some people are saying he has a conflict of interest, all that stuff. But the problem is that he was appointed by the president, and the president didn't want to uh, remove him, and he had to remove him for cause. Right. He knows a lot about Puerto Rico. That's just good. Then you have uh, Jose Ramon Gonzalez, who used to be president of the Government Development Bank, right. Bank back in the 80s. Mm-hmm a man who has uh, vast knowledge in Puerto Rico. Interestingly enough, these two, Garcia and Ramon uh, Gonzalez, worked in Santander Securities for, for a period of time. And to my knowledge, they got along fine. They, they're from different parties in Puerto right. Rico. But they were, you know, um, they got along well. Then you have um, the third Puerto, Rico, uh, third Puerto Rican, whose name escapes me right now. Carry Santos. Uh, 
Carrion. Okay. Yeah. Carrion is an executive and, and, and very well-known man in terms of insurance. Mm-hmm. Why is insurance important? Well, some of the bonds are insured. And it's, it's an important industry in, 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 in any state of the union. And his expertise in business is going to be used. Okay, so we have, in that, those three, we have knowledge of Puerto Rico and we have knowledge of, important knowledge of business. Then we go into what is my favorite, Ms. Mato Santos, uh, Puerto Rican origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, her family's from here, but she, uh, apparently she went to Stanford and stayed in California. She was the uh, budget officer for Mr. Schwarzenegger and Mr. Brown, which are two extremes right. on, in, in politics. Right. But it was needed at the time. She, you can summarize her that she cut and she cut and she cut the budgets all the way. And that's useful. Mm-hmm. We need somebody like her to look at the bloated bureaucracy in Puerto Rico and say, you know what, we just have to really cut it and give us ideas on how to cut it. And I think she is uh, the type of technocrat, and I say it in that admiring way, right. that uh, this mess, uh, whole mess needs. And then we have a uh, Mr. Biggs. Right. Andrew Mr. Biggs, Biggs, interestingly enough, is an expert, and he wrote a report with, for the Society of, uh, oh my God, I always forget the, the name of, it's actuaries, the Society of Actuaries. And he wrote a report on the issue of lack of funding for uh, government pensions. That right. was back in 2014. He has written, I think he was in Fortune magazine in March, he said that the Puerto Rico um, retirement fund was badly managed, which was like, yeah, we know and that uh, there was a lot of changes that needed to be done. Tying that into uh, bankruptcy, uh, like many states in Puerto Rico, although it's not written constitutionally, it is a decision of what's called by Don Toro. The people who are retired, who receive retirement funds, have a constitutional right to be paid. Okay? But, obviously, in bankruptcy, that constitutional right, which is state right, can be overridden. Uh, except for what I read about, you know, respecting the different uh, standards, constitutional, blah, blah. So that can be changed through uh, bankruptcy. I really don't see how you can fund the Puerto Rican uh, bank, um, pensions right now. They, I think they have uh, the central government's pension fund right now has less than 1%. To give things into perspective, if you take that retirement fund, and you take the teachers' retirement fund, and teachers don't pay Social Security in Puerto Rico, so they have the only income they have when they retire is from the uh, pension. Mm-hmm. If you take those two together, Puerto Rico will have to come up with two point two billion dollars in order to substitute uh, for the payments that are being made by the pension plan. Right. Right. So you have those. The group is eclectic, but it I think does deal well with actually what's needed in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to change, period. Right. Uh, fiscally, socially, etc. A couple of other interesting things, John, which I know you know, is that um, the members of the board serve for th- three-year terms. Um, mm-hmm. They're removable only for cause, as I think you mentioned. They also serve uh, without compensation. Um, so this is, mm-hmm. a big, this is a big job. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, but they're uh, essentially volunteers. Um, yes. There are some other, uh, there, there's a power to uh, appoint a uh, staff executive who is, is paid and some other um, 
administrative uh, 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 personnel um, as well. But so they, their their work uh, begins, and it, it begins. And this is maybe the last thing I'd like to raise with you is um, uh, there's a backdrop of outstanding litigation, which is ongoing. Um, yes. And uh, and so maybe let's just just talk a little bit about about that. Yeah. Uh, Judge uh, Besosa, the federal district court in Puerto Rico, um, recently refused to stay uh, one of the bondholder uh, suits. So, well, actually, he didn't. It, he refused to stay three of them, and there's another one which filed recently that wanted to join in a hearing. Because going back to the to the whole thing. But Judge Vesosa said, okay, I'm not going to, I, this, uh, the state applies to you guys, although they weren't asking for money. But the, the cases were filed before, um, or could have been filed and were filed before Promesa. But I'm going to give you the opportunity, because the law provides for that, for the lifting of the stay. Now, the hearings on the lifting of the stay, and there's four cases on that, right. will start on September 22. Okay. And interestingly enough, Judge Vizosa, you know, like everybody else in the federal court system, has a big uh, uh, load of cases. Recently, the, one of my cases, which is with him, I have several with him, was sent to a judge in Rhode Island, which is not unusual, but usually it's like huge cases. So it seems that they, they, the federal court system understands that Judge Vizosa is really up to his neck on these mm-hmm. things, and he needs time to deal with them. So they're giving him a break, which is, again, a good idea. I'm not complaining, although I like George, I like giving him. He's an no-nonsense guy. Um, those hearings will determine one of two things. Either he raises, well, actually three. Either he raises the state, either he doesn't raise the state, or he raises the state for some cases and not in others. So I said there were at least four that are going to those hearings. Interestingly enough, in another very important case, which is filed by Lex Claims and others, right. um, their general obligation holders, the judge decided, you know what, Promesa doesn't apply to you. Why? Because you filed after Promesa, you filed based on Promesa, a violation of Section 204C3. It's very important. Uh, basically saying that you have changed the constitutional uh, priority of payment. Now, whether that's true or not, that's not a matter. But he said, the state is going to apply to you guys. And there will be most, there's already a motion to dismiss, and I think it's by the 30th. Uh, Lex Claims has to oppose it. I'm sure they will oppose it, and then the judge decide whether they viol- uh, the government of Puerto Rico violated Promesa, which personally I think they did. Finally, what, um, uh, given the, the fact of this uh, ongoing uh, litigation is, um, uh, the backdrop of the board's um, in, initial uh, action. Um, what's your kind of short-term uh, prediction on um, uh, the first things that the board uh, needs to needs to do? I mean, they're not involved in the the stay litigation, um, but it certainly. Uh, could have an impact on their work yes. if if the court you know mm-hmm. rules you know one way or the other. So putting that aside, mm-hmm. what what do you think is the first thing that the board needs to get uh, uh, working on um, as they begin mm-hmm. their work? I would say that the first thing the board really needs to do 
is uh, find out exactly what type of negotiations, if any, are being done right now, What at what stage they are. And they need to know that like yesterday. Right. Why? Well, let's just suppose that what, they, what the bondholders tell me is true and that there are no negotiations. Well, the boy has to say, hey, you <clears throat> gentlemen, you better get your <clears throat> in gear. Right. Or if, it, if it's going on, I think that um, the board should make a statement. I think the board has to be transparent, uh, has to give people information, has to be in the social media, etc., and say, hey, this is going on, we're keeping an eye on it, uh, I'm confident, we're confident something's going to happen. Okay, something possible, I would say. People in Puerto Rico need hope. They really need hope. Right. That's the first thing. Second thing is under 204C3, there's several actions by government in Puerto Rico, which I personally think violate PROMESA. I think the board has to look at it and see if they think they have violated it, and if they think they should do something about it. Right. They may not want to do something about it uh, for strategic reasons, but they need to do that. And I want to make a little uh, footnote here. The government of Puerto Rico has said several times that it's, it is going to present the fiscal plan in the next few days. Mr. Ravitch, yes. uh, who is a member ex officio of the board, right. designated by the governor of Puerto Rico, right. has said that, I think it was yesterday. Now, that is not what the, what the law of Puerto says. Not only that, but what I think they're doing is that the um, Treasury Department is pushing for that because the Treasury Department is pushing for bankruptcy. Now, why is that important? Because the law specifically states that that no entity can go to bankruptcy unless it has a fiscal plan in place. Right. So if they present the fiscal plan and the board accepts it, which is always a big if, it would be a lot quicker than if the board asked for the fiscal plan, given the fact that there is going to be a change of government, no matter what, in November. Right. In November, we have elections like right. in the States, and there will be a new governor. Right. So anybody in their right mind would say, let me wait until the next gover- a governor is, a government is elected, right. and then I'll do that. But then there cannot be any bankruptcy until you have that approved, and it will take longer. Right. On the other hand, why would you approve any bankruptcy unless you really know what the numbers are? And that takes time. The government of Puerto Rico is very opaque in its, uh, its information. Right. It has no uh, Freedom of Information Act. If you ask for something as simple as, can you give me the names of the bondholders, people had to sue here to get those. those right. with. Well, there's a lot ahead, um, and we've really yes. just scratched the surface um, on, on ProMesa. We'd love to have you back, John, to uh, follow up with the board's progress in the in the months ahead, particularly after the new administration uh, takes effect yeah. at the beginning of the year. But And by the way, I want to, uh, your uh, listeners, it's very important for everybody in the bankruptcy bar in the United States to understand that there will be huge amounts of litigation here, okay, that will involve bankruptcy. And our bankruptcy bar is very small. Right. We have never had a, a Chapter 9 Puerto Rico for two reasons. Before 84, simply because the laws of Puerto Rico did not allow for uh, the municipalities to go into bankruptcy. Right. And after 84, well, we were not allowed to go to Chapter 9. Right. So we have no one here who has actually dealt with them. So there will be a need for people. Okay. Obviously, there's a lot of people here who are very knowledgeable in bankruptcy. 
myself included, but we've never dealt with a chapter nine. Right. reality. For sure. Um, well, thank you, John, uh, again, for you. sharing your, your thoughts on the background and history and uh, up-to-date uh, developments um, in terms of litigation down there. We also thank our audience, as always, for listening. Uh, remind you that there are nearly 200 podcasts online at abi.org slash newsroom slash podcasts. And so until next time, then, this is Sam Giordano for the American Bankruptcy Institute saying good day. Good day.